Welcome back to the latest series uh, of the Fahey Files on what works in the New York State Capitol and what doesn't. I am Assemblywoman Pat Fahey, and here with this new series of the Fahey Files on connectivity during these times of chaos. And I have such an esteemed guest today and somebody who I just think could probably write volumes about how to connect uh, even pre-COVID. Uh, but with me today is Peter Gannon, who is the president and CEO of United Way of the Capital Region. Uh, Pete's been there just a couple of years, although it, uh, it, you might as well have been there years, you've made so many changes. I've known Pete for a number of years. Uh, most recently, I know you'd also been at the Water Valley Arsenal uh, running that shop. Uh, and I think we go back to when you had once worked for um, Ron Kenestrari. You've also done a whole host of things. I'm going to keep your bio so that we can get right into the talking. I'm going to keep this very quick, but I, it's worth noting you were part of the statewide 40 under 40 uh, just, just a year ago. Um, and uh, one of my favorite things about you is even pre-COVID, before the economy went into such an upheaval, you also launched Gannon's List to help those who were job hunting. And I think you even launched that before you started at United Way. So everything you've done is always about other people. Pete, today we really are here to talk about connectivity on a macro level and on a micro level. In other words, what have you done professionally and personally, and we can start on, on either one, to uh, make sure you are staying connected during these chaotic times when connectivity has changed on so many levels, but also how you're coping. So welcome again, uh, Peter Gannon. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Assemblywoman. It's great to see you even, uh, you know, electronically, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, uh, welcome to uh, participate in this conversation with you. And yeah, I mean, I think you, know, you started to talk about how we connected so many years ago when I was working in the assembly. You were the fiercest advocate for public education that I had ever seen, and I think Very you kind. still hold that distinction to this day. And uh, there was uh, no no better advocate for the for the children and the families of the city of Albany, and that uh, remains true today. So thank you. Pleased to be here with you today. Thank you. And it looks good in the LOB. I see you're in the LOB, and that's like you know my old haunt. So it's good to see it. That's right. So, um, you know, but for us here at United Way, I mean, COVID's been a challenge. And uh, first and foremost, um, for us, connectivity has been about safety, right? We need, to pro we need to keep everybody safe, keep everybody healthy, so that we can continue to connect with you for the foreseeable future. And um, that's, you know, we, we were just the other day, um, I was looking back on Twitter at the, at the history of this pandemic through the eyes of my Twitter handle. And I had a tweet back on my son's birthday, March 12th, where I announced that we were shutting down the United Way office through March 27th. Wow. We were taking this drastic step to shut our office from March 12th to March 27th. And we'll see you back here on March 30th, hopefully no worse for the wear. And now with the benefit of the look back of uh, nine months of what we've all endured, it's uh, certainly, you know, was very optimistic of me at the time, but you know, that's had its set of challenges. I've never managed a team this big. You, you had mentioned I was at the Arsenal before this. My team at the Arsenal was four people. Um, you know, before that I worked for a supervisor in Colony for a brief time. 
I had two people who directly reported to me. So to, to be responsible for a team of 20 now, like I am at United Way, um, it's all personal. And so, you know, I, I would have staff and, and nobody's connecting the same way, right? So I have staff members who have four children who don't want to hop on an all call at 9 a.m. But I want to keep an all call because I know I have a 25-year-old whose parents are living in another city and she's living by herself in an apartment who's having absolutely no connectivity if she's right. you know, playing by the book. So you know, we've, as for our team, we used a lot of Zoom early on. Uh, we were checking in every day by Zoom and you know, we, we ebbed and flowed with it. Connecting with donors, I think, you know, for, for the nonprofit world, connecting with donors has been a, an, a historic issue since they invented charity. And, Very true. You, you know, for, for us, what the Zooms of the, of the world and the teams of the world have done is they've enabled us to radically connect in different ways with our donors, which we would have never, you, you go back a year ago, I would have never thought of sending a Zoom invitation to a hundred donors to say, hop on a Zoom with me today at lunch and learn about what we're doing at United Way. But we did that through the COVID fund we launched with the, with the Community Foundation. We hosted regular calls with the donors to report back to them how we were investing their generosity. And it's created this new, um, it's created this new layer of intimacy between us and the people who support us philanthropically that didn't exist before COVID. So as much of a pain this thing has been, uh, and for some of us, that's all it's been is a really bad pain. Others have fared much worse. And, you know, you know, I'm always thinking about those people. But for us, this has been one major inconvenience. Um, there have been newfound ways that we that will carry into when we return to a normal. There have been some newfound ways we will improve upon the way we're touching and connecting with our donors in perpetuity, not just during a pandemic. Pete, that's one of the things I admire so much about you, aside from having the chance to work with you, but I've been able to watch from afar. And the, uh, to use another C word here, uh, not, just have, not only have you uh, accelerated connectivity, but it's the creativity that you have used to accelerate that on a, on a very macro level, because you're a nonprofit. Uh, you're one of the biggest in this region. And uh, as you just said, you had to stay connected to those donors. That was probably the initial upheaval, I'd, I'd have to say, that I saw among a host of nonprofits. Uh, this happened in the spring, early spring, when so usually it's chock full of fundraisers and uh, the cancellations were just extraordinary. So your creativity and coping with this and then your positive attitude have been truly uh, amazing. Uh, what do you see carrying forward after this uh, in terms of that connectivity uh, in, in the positive aspect? As you said, it's been inconvenience is probably the mildest term heard about uh, COVID, um, but, uh, but there are these takeaways uh, for connectivity. Well, you know, I think those of us who've been through truly life-bending situations have developed a callus. I know you've been through them. I've been through them. And you develop a callus to it. And I do, I do think the way some people carry on who have, who've been nothing but just inconvenienced isn't doing any of us any, any help, right? So staying positive, staying upbeat about this. Uh, you know, for me, you, you talk about the, 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 the macro versus the micro level. On the very micro level, the Gannon household 
this has been the best nine months of our lives because the amount of time I've been able to spend home with my kids, with them on the weekends, not running to a birthday party, not running to some other social gathering, and real family time has been just such a gift, such a blessing through all this. And I know that sounds corny. And trust me, by like Sunday night of the four-day Thanksgiving weekend, I was ready to get back to the office. <laughs> I was going to say, you're morning. scaring me with the positivity, but I but, love it. <laughs> but it's been great to be home for bedtime every night and not be changing into a suit and running out to an event three nights a week, which you know, I mean, you've got a better card than yeah. anybody is what you're doing, you know? Every night. So it's been nice to enjoy that. Um, but the other side of that is that's commerce for a lot of organizations. So when you're not running to the event, what is the ramifications downstream? We, we were on the front side of the pandemic. We were one of the first organizations that pulled off a virtual event. And I think a lot of other organizations, not that anybody wished us ill will, but a lot of folks sat back and watched to see how we'd fare and see if we were going to, you know, fall on our faces. But if you go back and look at our annual awards event from early June, it was a huge success. And, you know, for us, I mean, to be candid, that money was already booked. So we couldn't refund money for that and not feel it as an organization. So we had to come up with something. Now, fortunately, at 40, I'm a dinosaur in our office. I'm a I'm the I'm the old G. I'm the old man. Don't here. scare me too much. <laughs> so, but I've got a lot of really astute people younger than me who understand technology and they understand the capacity of what we can accomplish. Um, who were able to pivot so quickly, like 518 Day, our huge day of volunteering, happened two months after the pandemic. All of March, we were talking about how we had to cancel 518 Day. And what we saw in April, though, was that people wanted, after being locked down for a month, what we saw was that people were craving connectivity in a way we hadn't seen before. There was almost a call out not to cancel 518 Day because people needed it. They wanted to feel, I mean, this is what United Way is all the time. We want to be this hub where people can come to be part of something bigger than themselves. And we, you know, we really felt this obligation to the community. You know, it would have been really easy for us to say, no volunteer day this year. We'll come back in 2021 and we'll be bigger and better than ever. But, you know, good luck. Which a lot of organizations did. And, and Pete, back up for a second on 518 yeah. Day. I know you deal with hundreds and I know you've just, you've knocked the numbers out of the park under your leadership, but you deal with hundreds of volunteers and dozens upon dozens of different service groups. One of my favorite lines is, safest place to be under COVID is outdoors. I know you were able to continue a number of those because they were outdoors. Tell us a little more about 518 Day and I'm so glad you brought it up because I had it right in my notes. So love it. Yeah, so the way 518, so I started at United Way May 7th, 2018. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too much into what I inherited, but I don't think things were going well. There was low morale here, and I think our visibility as an organization was down. Yes. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, let's draw a line in the sand here. Let's create a baseline and see what we can do. And I called the mayor, and I said, hey, May 18th is 518 day. Uh, my staff wants to do a little beautification project in the park and we're going to do a barbecue at our office, welcoming the new CEO type of thing. And we're, you know, we did it. Our staff went and raked up one area of the park, came here. We had a barbecue. It was great. 
Following Monday, we get in the office to debrief that day. And we set that goal that day that next year we wanted to have 300 volunteers and we wanted to have 30 projects. So fast forward a year, May 18th, 2019, we stuffed the CDTA bus with 10,000 books for kids. We had almost 40 projects, almost 500 volunteers throughout the capital region out doing these in-person things. Now, you may not think that beautifying a flower bed at Damien Center is a huge deal, but for these nonprofits that operate on a shoestring, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. So Absolutely. Much about what we do, especially on the human services side, is about doing it with dignity and doing it in a, in a venue or a place where people feel great about it. And so that coat of paint that you can put on the wall at the Boys and Girls Club is a game changer and something people can do in a couple hours on a Saturday in May. So this year, we wanted 1,000 volunteers. We wanted 50 projects. And we envisioned this huge day that was just going to keep expanding and COVID changed it. So, you know, it was a lot less in-person volunteering, but it was more, a lot of online programming. We did a virtual 5K. We had secure, we did a, a baby, essential baby item drive. We wanted to get, we wanted to get every family in the capital region off to the best start possible. So we filled the CDTA bus with baby supplies. We got a $30,000 product donation from Beech Nut that we trucked down with a UPS truck, loaded on the bus, unloaded it all. People thought I was nuts. I am nuts, but you know, it's, this is about like community. And so there were a number of other things. We had, you know, Riley Williams did a concert. We had a trivia contest. I had mentioned the virtual 5K, Soulfire Farm did an online program like this through Zoom where they taught people how they could garden anywhere, right? You live in Arbor Hill, you live in Loudonville, you live in West Hill, you live in Latham, you can garden, whether it's on your apartment windowsill or your backyard garden. And, you know, just really great programming that was community-based and, and brought people together. Pete, what you are describing is the epitome of connectivity. Again, we've had to do it in different ways, but connectivity uh, on that micro and macro level, first of all, I think it's been critically important for the mental health of people getting them through these last six to nine months. Um, but the fact that you were able to sustain your organization, many nonprofits were, uh, are often a shoestring away from disaster. Uh, let me, you mentioned the CDTA bus, and I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Carm Basile, who is your, I know your current board chair My at boss. United Way. Your yeah, board chair is a nicer right, way to put it. You're, well, we a lot of us call Carmbasile the boss, but um, uh, but huge kudos. He's also incredibly innovative, uh, and I should just uh, while we're in um, while we're speaking here, I want to add in again. We are with Pete Gannon, who is the president and CEO of United Way of the Capital Region, and I'm Assemblywoman Pat Fahey here to talk about connectivity during these times of chaos. Go back a little to your family and talk about some of the micro changes within your office that have had to change to help those 25 year olds you mentioned, as well as within your own family. And, and how, uh, I love that you've said it's some of the best months, uh, but, but how did you get creative? Well, you know, I'll tell you what, in the, in the first couple months, every Friday night I was running takeout home to, to my staff. We did, our senior staff was running takeout home every Friday. Just something to just something to keep people upbeat because it, it wears on you. And you know, we did we, we did work wise from March fifteenth to May first with the community foundation was a grind. That's supposed to be our downtime to kind of recalibrate and we didn't have any downtime. We thought we were gonna be working on census. No census. Right. We did right. 
1.1 million dollars for emergency COVID relief. And, uh, you know, at times, you know, what I would see is no distinction between the work day. So, you know, we're texting at 10 o'clock at night, we're texting at six in the morning, we're texting on Saturday and Sunday. And I'm, at one point I mandated people start taking PTO. It's like, why don't you take PTO? If, if you don't have it in your bank, give you administrative time, but once a pay period, you got to take four hours of PTO minimum just to step up, walk away from the computer. Also start telling these guys, you got to get up and get dressed in the morning. Get up, get dressed in the morning. Go out your front door, come back inside and sit at your machine. And then- It's no joke. That is no joke. Yes. When four o'clock comes around, get up from your machine and go outside and come back inside, change into your play clothes, pour yourself a glass of wine, pop open a beer and signify the, close your laptop and signify the end of your day. Because there was such a run, I think in a blur that there was no more, you know, no drive to the office, no drive home. There was none of that time to decompress. And it was work, 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 work the whole time. And I, I became very uh, nervous about the potential for burnout. I even saw it in some employees. Yeah, as for my family, I mean, you know, I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. So they, you know, my two-year-old doesn't know anything but wearing a mask. I mean, he's, he's fine. Um, my five-year-old notices it and he, he, you know, we talk to him like an adult about it almost. We yes. talk to him about it in a really serious manner. And we're talking about the importance of why he wears a mask and, um, you know, at the same time trying to calm his fear. So I, I, I'm kind of known for telling my son a little white lie about COVID, which I don't think he believes anymore, but Initially, I told him he wasn't at risk, but I told him the, the, the thing about him was because he was young and healthy and running around all the time, he can actually spread it to people who are at risk. And that's why he's got to wear a mask. And that was a concept he understood. So a little bit of a white lie that he couldn't get sick seriously from COVID, but uh, it kept him calm and helped him understand the reasons why we were taking the why things were going to be a little bit different for a little while. Yeah, and, and I, I think those are acceptable as, as we were trying to all educate this ourselves. This is a pardon. I think this is a legislative pardon I'm getting. For That's right. You're getting a son. complete legislative pardon because trying to explain this to kids, I had a 21-year-old I was trying to explain it to. And uh, the upheaval uh, in her college life. So I saw the, the social emotional toll it was taking on a college kid, let alone uh, my, my son who... Uh, you know, had to leave his apartment in New York City. So it, uh, the toll was just stunning and whatever coping, uh, another one of my favorite words, we all had to learn new ways to cope. Uh, so the fact that you became the coach as well as the president CEO um, uh, at your workplace, uh, as well as uh, working with your children just, just shows uh, the creativity that you needed, to, you needed to embrace. You mentioned food. Uh, again, we're talking with Pete Gannon. You mentioned food, and I think it's really important that we talk about uh, what you did, along with a few others, on Feed Albany. I had the opportunity to join you on a few of those, uh, to go to a few events. And a part of my coming to grips with COVID was trying to really... Um, uh, was seeing what the community did. And I know it helped me to see just how creative folks were. And you were absolutely instrumental in raising those dollars, which 
uh, were well beyond anybody's expectations, but what you did to feed others. Talk about that, Pete, again, on that macro professional level. Well, I mean, Feed Albany was, is not what it was supposed to be. I mean, that's just the honest, that's just my honest take on Feed Albany. And I don't, I don't really deserve a fraction of the credit you're giving me on Feed Albany. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you my Feed Albany experience. One of my best friends owns a restaurant in downtown Albany. And they, you know, as their industry shut down, it started as a way to provide sustenance to service industry employees who were out of work. And tapped into this other existing need. Um, you know, the people just didn't understand, I think, the scale of how badly people were hurting. I mean, that's something we talk about all the time at United Way. But he, one of the things I'll admire about Dominic so much is he's not on easy street here. I mean, he's facing his own personal, you know, trials because of the impacts to the restaurant industry. And I don't think he'd mind me saying like very real life decisions about whether or not his restaurants see 2021 or beyond as a result of, you know, especially these next couple months. And for him to go to this place of, I'm not going to wallow in it. I'm not going to, you know, we talked earlier about like the callousing of one's mind because you've been through some stuff. Well, this is, I think what, this is what people do who, you know, he could easily have turned around and, started complaining about the restrictions and trying to skirt the restrictions, but instead he complied, wanted to get people, you know, keep people healthy and safe. And then instead of wallowing, it was, well, what can I do? You know, I'm blessed. What can I do to give back? And it's turned into this juggernaut. So, you know, for me to feed Albany, I've volunteered a half a dozen times down there. You know, we've contributed financially, you know, but these folks who've had their entire existence turned upside down, Dominic, Jason from Savoy, uh, to turn around and this is how they react is actually, you know, one of the most incredible gestures I think I've ever seen. Um, Agreed. Agreed. And it's, you know, just, I mean, listen, I get a paycheck for doing what I do and I'm very fortunate that our organization was in a good position to respond. Uh, I'm, I'm, being candid, I don't know how uh, I don't know how generous I'd be feeling if all of that was you know on the cusp of being taken away from me. I I agree, and uh, and Dominic per, uh, Permano, uh, I I know I said that wrong. You'll have to correct me. Um, Pernomo, yeah. Pernomo, I knew I said yeah. that wrong. Thank you, Dominic. Uh, uh, it's okay. He's Jason in the news enough that enough people know. That's right. Thank you. Um, what they have done, uh, I actually think it it helped others seeing that kind of outpouring from the community and how the community connected to help others is, uh, is, is remarkable. Pete, uh, again, back on this connectivity in these times of chaos, as we wrap this up, how do you see, what, what are the things you are going to continue as we now have a vaccine on the horizon? Some sense of normalcy will come back at some point in 2021. What do you see yourself continuing and, uh, uh, in terms of maintaining that type of connectivity along with the creativity that you've, you've brought from your staff? Well, you know, I, I hope, you know, we're, we're trying to just start to make some decisions right now about what we do for the first half of 2021. It's, very, it's a, you know, it's a gamble to start planning an in-person gala or, you know, an in-person volunteer event. 
So we kind of have all the same trappings that we had a year ago. But, you know, we have a year of experience with it now. So, we, you know, we can tread a little bit lightly and we've got some time to make some decisions. But I think, you know, the there's no excuse to not have better connectivity between organizations now. And I think one of the things that maybe a lot of people don't know about our sector is that there is rivalry, there's competition, there isn't always great cooperation. And some of the lessons learned from COVID are that uh, there's no reason not to collaborate. We're going to be better if everybody collaborates. And it's as convenient as ever to collaborate. Sometimes it's almost too convenient. I mean, I have 19 Zoom invites a day, as I'm sure everyone else does, because it's so easy to get people in a virtual room. But like for us, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing we learned organizationally is our superpower is that we can get a lot of people moving in the same direction really quickly. And if that's the takeaway from COVID and you know, a lot of these issues were pre-COVID, they were highlighted by COVID and we're gonna still be here to work on them post-COVID, but we're not gonna do it alone anymore. We've, got, we've discovered great partners, we've created great partnerships, meaningful partnerships that get a better result for the community. So, uh, you know, and, and you know, you have, we, we talked about CARM earlier. CARM's the first visionary who's really put you know, his money where his mouth is on regionalization, right? We're talking yes. about that a lot too. Like that's one of the biggest challenges of my job. When I have a great solution for Albany, I got somebody in Schenectady saying it's not a great solution for them. And then I, you know, because of big politics, sometimes you have somebody in Rensselaer County or Saratoga County is like, we don't want that solution. Well, you know, a lot of these solutions are simpler than we think and bringing them to scale across uh, on a regional basis is a key to you know seeing the change that we all want to see in our communities we know at united way that pre-pandemic 41 percent of families were living below a household survival budget 41 percent of families that's almost half that's employees in the legislature it's employees here at united way it's the parents of the kids my kids go to school with it's our friends it's our relatives who do, who don't make enough money to meet the basic survival budget, things like childcare, healthcare, technology, housing, transportation. And you know, that's why I love your EITC bill. We signed on to support that immediately because that's been the one program that's proven to lift families over and over again above these thresholds. Really makes a difference for them. Uh, thank you. Thank, thank you for the shout out on my EITC bill. That's the earned income tax credit. And I know that you also help you. You help hundreds of people in the capital region to do their income taxes. Uh, but the 40, I just need to reiterate the 41% that are struggling. Uh, it's the Alice system that I know um, uh, and, and translate Alice for me again. The, uh, yeah, Alice I know it's a United for, Way. Yeah. So it's a proprietary study we do at United Way. It studies incomes against what you need to survive, and it's 41% of families below that threshold. People can actually go to unitedforalice.org. You can it. find New York State. You can go down to Pat Fahey's Assembly District, to John McDonald's Assembly District, to county level, to congressional district, and see what's happening in your own community, literally to like street level data. And we do know that as bad as 41% was pre-COVID, more families have been dragged below that threshold as a result of the Good pandemic. Point. So when we talk about what we're focusing on, we don't need to figure any, we don't need to figure out what we're focusing on next year. We know it's about starting this long climb of recovery. Recessions are funny too. 
the worst impacts of recessions sometimes lag a year or two behind. So people we know are gonna be hurting for the foreseeable future. So we wanna be there with partners like you and government to, to find like real solutions for families. I mean, EITC is a game changer. Stimulus, individual stimulus was a, if, if we didn't have the 1200 plus enhanced unemployment, I don't know what would have happened to the emergency food system. It was the needed stopgap. And I'm, and I'm not alone, many others are scared to death about what happens after the first of the year as these unemployment benefits are running out. If Congress fails to get another stimulus done to get money into the hands of, of families who need it, I'm not sure how much more the safety net can take. Right. So that's right. like a really scary thing. I think we're all feeling pretty good about things because we yes. can all still get to a grocery store and you know, many of us have returned to work, but there is a big section of this economy that is lagging very far behind. And if there's not real assistance at some point in the next month, there's gonna be real serious ramifications downstream. And I don't mean to be alarmist, it's just the facts. No, but that's a great reminder as we wrap this up. Again, uh, it's Assemblywoman Pat Fahey of the Fahey Files and uh, this new series on connectivity in the times of chaos. You're right. The chaos may begin to end as far as the pandemic goes, but the lessons that we've learned on connectivity are going to be all the more important. The creativity that you and United Way have uh, have really um, brought to a new level are going to be all the more important because sometimes those economic uh, uh, whiplash that we have seen will continue for the are expected to continue for the next few years. So um, uh, there is that lag time that you mentioned. Uh, Pete, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for all you are doing as a region. Thank you for bringing United Way. Uh, I remember a number. Uh, a couple of decades ago when United Way really hit a low nationally because of some uh, national scandals. They were in Washington, certainly not here. But it took a long time to climb back out of that. And uh, what they do now with the ALICE program on measuring income and that income insecurity, let alone what you've done with, uh, with food, with taxes and others, uh, has, has really been instrumental. So, uh, you're an inspiration um, on the professional and the personal level, even in your office. Uh, and I really, um, really appreciate you explaining how you've managed this uh, uh, to make connectivity work, uh, even if we've had to do it differently. Well, thanks. And, and, and I feel likewise. You, you inspire me every day, Pat. You're, uh, you're the hardest worker out there. And, and we, you know, on, on behalf of a lot of us, we appreciate all you do for this community. Well, thank you. Thank you. And it's a pleasure, hopefully, to be continued. Thanks.